Neo Before Blog presents Neo Before Pod. Internet, the current frontier. These are the voyages of the website Neil Before Blog. Its continuing mission to explore strange new shows, to seek out conversations about nerdy obsessions, to have discussions that many have had before. Captain's Log, Stardate, whenever you happen to be listening to this. My crew and I are continuing our voyage through our personal best and worst of the Star Trek franchise. We have recently left the original series and Next Generation behind. Unfortunately, Officer Alec Peters was having some connection issues that resulted in long periods of silence that had to be edited around, but hopefully he still feels like part of the conversation. Now, we pick things up with Deep Space Nine. Captain Sisko and his and his crew, eclectic crew of misfits, all staying in one place. Uh, well, the trouble comes to them. Absolutely, that's, it's not that's not going to be a description that appears in the DVD cover, but it's what. I'm no, doing. but it's what <laughs> I thought about it when I first heard about it. I'm like, yeah. how can how can this be actually any good? <laughs> I was when I first heard about DS9. I was very excited to see a new spin-off. I, I got over that whole, oh, you can't make Star Trek without Kirk and Spock. I was excited to see something different. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, my, my first impression was, it's a space station. They're not going, not going to go anywhere. There's not going to be that many adventures. But then, of course, hey, but it's 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 more Star Trek. But how cool is that? Hmm. It, we're not. It's not just a run of next generation. That's it. So, thank you and um, goodbye. It's we're going to see more Star Trek. That's that's cool. Yeah. So I'll kick things off. My favourite episode is uh, By a Mile in the Pale Moonlight from Season oh, 6. Oh, you swine. <laughs> it's just, it's a it's a really dark and thrilling character piece where Cisco confesses everything to his uh, log entry about about the dirty dealings he, he um, took part in to get the Romulans into the war. And unlike in other shows where a character does a horrible thing and it tries to justify it, Cisco never tries to justify what he's done. He's completely aware of how wrong the actions he did are, but he's also completely behind the fact that um, they're for a greater good and he's going to have to shoulder, shoulder that guilt. Yeah, and I love the, it, yeah, I love yeah. the way the personal log builds up, builds up his guilt and how much worse it gets as he keeps, as he bribes Quark, lets Garrick get away with murder and generally keeps this secret in order to make sure the Federation is saved. It's just, it's just grim. It's interesting. And, it's probably Cisco at his best, and that, that final declaration where he, you know, where he says, "I can live with it," coldly yeah. to the camera is um, is chilling. Yeah, and it's, it shows how grim war really is, and who could forget? It's a fake. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> also, perhaps the first episode ever to fourth wall break in a way. Yeah, it's really off format as well, which makes it stand out. It, it is. It is really. At first, I, I, when I first saw it, I thought this was just going to be a bottle episode, you know. Hmm. Uh, but but then, kind of actually, 
but it is. But they actually did film uh, sequences for it. And and as Garrick says, you know, you know, the Romans will enter the world, and all it took was the self was uh, the death of um, a Romulan politician, senator. And yeah. senator, and the self respect of one Starfleet officer. And when when Cisco looks back at it, he goes, "Yeah, I can live with that." The thing that bugs me about this episode, they never go back to it. They should have gone back to it. It should have been revisited. You see Cisco going, oh, this is terrible what I've done, but I can live with it. Never touches on it again. I guess that was sort of the idea. You know, he, he deletes that log entry, so he gets on with his job. And then it would have been it would have been interesting to see him kind of look guilty whenever Romulans entered the room or something like that. But I think if they'd overdone it later on, it would have been, it would have diminished the importance of, of that as a moment. I think it was... Yeah, it's just whenever I think of Deep Space Nine, how good it can get, that's what I think of. Yeah, that's that's my go-to episode. Anytime I'm fancy, I fancy a bit of DS Nine, I'll watch that. And you and you fancy being suitably depressed? Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but it's it's also it's not it doesn't depress me at all. I, I mean, I I love the uh, I love how Garrick uh, manages to um, completely pull the wool over Cisco's eyes. Uh, he, Garrick had never had any intention. Of that data rod actually working, yeah. He he just wanted he just wanted the senator to get within within his within touching di- uh, distance so he could blow him up. Yeah, to me, Garrett's the star of that episode. Yeah, he's the star of most of the episodes he's in as well. He's just Garrett like... makes that episode watchable. Garrick is the unsung hero of DS9. Everybody goes about, oh, how Cisco's awesome, how the O'Brien's cool, and how how Bashir is boyishly awesome. But Garrick is he actually is responsible for a lot of the pivotal things that goes on. Yeah, yeah. The, his uh, interpretation of um, of uh, the boy who cried wolf, don't tell the same lie twice, and and all that stuff. I Indeed. love Robinson's portrayal of Garrick. I just think he's awesome. But then he's just a cracking actor, period. Uh, yep. Absolutely. As far back as Dirty Harry. So I was about to say that. I loved him in Dirty Harry. <laughs> I walked past him in the corridor in Vegas and said, Ah, Andy Robinson, just want to say, loved you in Dirty Harry. <laughs> Which I thought was a bit random for a Star Trek convention, but, you know. Hmm. I bet I still... enjoy hearing that. <laughs> it's such a great movie. We actually watched it last hmm. week. Just because I've not watched yeah, any. Because, yeah, why not? Why not? You don't need a reason to watch it. It's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was mine. Uh, Sandy, what's your favourite? Since I took yours. Dr. Bashir, I presume. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just a nice episode where um, certainly Lewis Zimmerman, uh, who who all knew, created the uh, EMH uh, and, and imbued it with his view of the world. Um Decides to turn up on DS9 and, go, and speak. Goes to Doctor Bashir and goes, "I want to make EMH2, and I want it to look like you." And in over the course of the episode, um, it turns out Julian is a super genius. Has had been genetically modified because he was, a, he had learning difficulties as a child, and his parents took him to an, some, somewhere, uh, I can't remember the planet now, where they did a little bit of genetic manipulation, and hey presto, you've got someone who's top of the class who deliberately held back a little bit as to allay any suspicions. And you, then you've then got the father who's, he's a happy-go-lucky guy, he, he's, he's, always, he's always sees the, ro- the rosy side of everything, but when he sees that his career, his son's career is possibly in uh, ruins, he goes... Okay, yeah, I'm going to take responsibility, and um, it's not my son's fault. Please don't kick him out. I'll take full responsibility, and I'll go to jail for it. And that's just that's just a nice little episode. That it's a yeah, good one. interesting choice. Yeah. Um, the the thing about that is the genetic engineering thing feels like it comes from nowhere for me, and then it just keeps coming up after that. After he's just open about it and shows off a lot, but um, well, it's there's nothing wrong rec- with the episode itself. I agree with it's that. Like, it's nicely retconned. Sorry, sorry, Mick, go. I no, I, I agree with San. I agree with both of you on that. I actually, I really enjoy that episode, but I do agree it does come a little out of left field. And I actually remember interviews with Alexander Siddig where he was saying that um, he wasn't hugely keen on that, and I can yeah. see why he wouldn't be because he this is not the character he'd been playing at all, and then all of a sudden you're oh you're a superhuman oh okay. It's like I, when he found out he was a changeling. 
Yeah, a bit. I kind of like I I like the slight the the more no I I like the Bashir I like Bashir actually I'm a big fan of Bashir, but I kind of like the early Bashir more than the super Bashir. Fair enough. But yeah. I, I, I I do like what they did with him as well, so I'm a bit split on that one. And I really like the character, so and it's a really good episode, I agree with you. Yeah. Cool. Um Nick, what's yours? Okay. Uh I've got a list of several actually, and nobody's mm-hmm. picked any of mine. Woo! So I've got to decide which one. I'm gonna say When It Rains Which is one of the last few episodes from season seven uh this is the one where the mars resistance cell with kira and odo try to hijack well they do hijack a jemhadar ship so they can get the breen weapon back to starfleet oh yeah i remember hmm. that now and you know there's a lot of episodes i can pick from ds9 and funnily enough going through ds9 reminding myself again that there's some really amazing episodes and amazing characters in that show um but When It Rains is a particular favourite of mine. I think probably because I'm a big fan of Kira and I like Nana Visitor's portrayal of Kira. And I think Kira probably more than any of the characters on DS9 grew the most, I think. Um, and she always felt very kind of grounded and real as a character to me. But this episode, I'm a big fan of bottle shows and characters thrown together in cramped, difficult situations. I like those kind of stories. So I like things like um, The Thing or Alien and stuff like that. And this is not that kind of story. But it's characters in, in a tight quarters in a stressful situation. And obviously, you've got Demar's right-hand man, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, who wants to obviously kill Kira. And Demar's torn between, is he still the old Demar of old Cardassia from the Central Command, or is he evolving into this new direction a more and then, aggressive, more... And then we get our answer. And then we get our answer. Uh, and obviously you've got Garrick there who represents old Cardassia, but also new Cardassia as well. Um, just the way it all plays out and the performances and the direction's very claustrophobic. It's just a lovely, beautifully written, beautifully acted episode. And the characters that are in it, you've got such a good group of actors there. You've got Nana Visitor, you've got uh, Rene Aubergenois, you've got Casey Biggs, you've got Andrew Robinson, and I cannot for the life of me remember the other actor's name, but again, just a great group of actors. And it's, you've basically got this little troop of wonderful actors crammed together in one room, acting the hell out of this script. And it's just, it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful episode, and I, love, and I can watch it to death. As is, I said, that, is that the episode where um, Garrick has, decides that um, his right-hand man, Damar's right-hand man, has to be killed? And he has all these kind of ominous walking into the shadow scenes. Before and like that. that, that's I think that's the episode before. Yeah, that's the episode before because the the right hand man is uh, he's really laying the, he's really leaning heavily on 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 Kira. Watching, they're all on the bridge of this Jem'Hadar ship, and Odo's disease has kicked in full force, so he's incapacitated, so he can't impersonate the female changeling if anyone comes on board. And Demar's right hand man, I wish I could remember his name. I will. It'll come back to me later basically draws his weapon and said, we'll kill Kira, we'll take the ship. And you've got Damar on one side and Garrick on the other. And you've got this battle of wills between Damar's right-hand man. And everybody's got their weapons drawn. And it all comes down as, what's Damar going to do? And Damar kills his right-hand man. And that's the point where you see Damar finally... I mean, Damar's been toying with moving beyond being archetypical Cardassian military man to somebody more and a leader and someone who actually accepts that he made mistakes and things have to change so it's just a wonderful scene and i I can watch it loads of times it's just such a good cast of characters in that scene Uh, so it's a particular favorite of mine out of probably all the star trek series as well it's a particular favorite of mine yeah you get no argument from me on that one nick that's a really good pick so alec what's yours um if you're uh, an aficionado of older films you'll know that uh treachery faith and great river is basically Nog playing Tony Curtis in Operation Petticoat, which is a film about a pink submarine in World War II. Uh, and uh, it started with Cary Grant. And, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. And basically in that movie, Tony Curtis could get anything. 
That was that was it, what he was known for. He could get anything from anyone. They would be trading things and, and, you know, getting rum for the ship's crew or getting a part for the engine or whatever. And uh, so that was... Um, that, that was kind of what that character was all about. So that is what Nog is doing in Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. He is uh, basically playing that character, and that's why he gets all these different things. And that's why he trades Cisco's desk to, uh, <laughs> you know, to Captain DeSalle. And then he, uh, he, he trades, you know, this and that and what have you. So it's really, uh, it's, it's really funny, especially if, you know, if you're a fan of the old movies like I am. Uh, it, it was a really funny piece, and um, I, I love I love that character. I mean, they really gave him a character to uh, that episode a, a chance to explore that character and what he was all about, and what was the Ferengi side of things all about, and and the great material continuum, you know. And uh, so it was great, and and of course he's playing off, you know, uh, he's playing off O'Brien as the straight character that whole episode. Um, and, uh, in the end, obviously all works out well, but I really enjoyed that episode. Um, so uh, I would say, you know, it's, it, it, and it's a break from what we typically see in DS9, right? It's, it's a break from the war effort and all the, you know, the drama and stress and everything. So, um, I, I, I'll give you that. Yeah. I was looking, I was looking at that, you know, I it's... was look, I was looking at it and then I, then I went for what, uh, for, um, um, Dr. Bajir, I presume, instead. I thought it was a really nice... It's a nice Nog episode. Hmm. And that's one thing Deep Space Nine always did very well, didn't it? It always had side characters uh, taking the forefront, uh, which is unusual. And, um, Apart and from Barclay and TNG, you know, <laughs> now and again. Yeah. And poor O'Brien sweating, getting more and more sweaty as the, as the episode goes along, because he's getting more... He thinks he's getting into more and more and more deep car car. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it's all about the uh, the desk getting stolen and all that stuff. It's brilliant. Indeed. Yeah. And then it it all turns out at the end, which is, it's just brilliant. It's like uh, it's it, it's Nog being able to use his true true uh, skill, his yeah. um, his strengths uh, to to do something good for his uh, his captain. The great material continuum. Yep. We get to learn more about the Ferengi and actually see them work. As part of federation yeah, yeah. and as part of the team, as yes, opposed yes. to being like you know the comic relief, they're kind of still the comic relief. But you see what again you see what happens when people work together. Yes. Yeah, and that's um that's one thing Armin Shimmerman always championed, wasn't it? Uh, give the Ferengi more depth and give them more to do and, and make them more interesting. So mm-hmm. that episode certainly does that. Gives them more of a culture, more of uh, more of everything that Star Trek's about. So yeah, it's a good choice. Good choices, everyone. We have the less good episodes of Deep Space Nine to cover now. Hardest to um, come up with, funnily enough. Up yeah. first, Sandy. Do you want to go first? I think I'm going to be controversial with this one. Ooh, what yeah. you leave? Be- what you leave behind? Ooh, that is controversial. The very last one. I think it opens more questions than it answers. Um. It, it tries to wrap up, but it doesn't. Um, it, it just left us hanging. It's almost like a cliffhanger at the end, and you're like, "Where's part two? It's. I mean, yeah, you like it. It's got some epic space battles, and also, uh, um, hang on a second, the, the the defiance now NX again. What on earth is that all about? Uh, epic stock footage of space battles. Yes, indeed, epic <laughs> stock footage of space battles. I'm like, come on, it's the last episode. You maybe you could have just come up with a little bit more CGI for that. Um, but um, yeah, it's just it just wraps up. To, uh, maybe it's also a little bit too long at the end as well, though. The, the con, every because they're just trying to wrap everything up in the last twenty twenty five minutes. It just seems to take forever and ever and ever. And then you're still answer, asking at the end, well, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are some fair points. There. I mean, I actually, I do like what you leave behind. And interestingly enough, when Iris Stephen Bear was talking about it and how, you know, all the other shows did a wrap-up, but he didn't do a wrap-up. He wanted to do, you know, show everybody going their separate ways. And I think that was an interesting take on it. And I think it was nice to see them do something different. But at the same time, I don't think they did it as well as they could have done. 
I liked what they were trying to do. I don't think they did it as well as they could have done. And I, and I, to this day, I don't like the fact that Cisco left his children. Yes, as a parent, that does not sit well with. I mean, I, even when I wasn't a parent, that didn't sit with me. I mean, two, two, three years earlier, we've just seen an episode where Jake pretty much throws his life away because his father goes missing. So now his father goes missing. Mm. Yeah. And he's left his pregnant wife, for goodness mm. sake. Doesn't work for me at all. And, you know, I, everybody likes... There's a lot of comment. People like Ducat was a supervillain. Ducat went from this... I didn't like what they did with Ducat. Ducat went from this fairly nuanced Shades of Grey character who probably had more in common with Garak to a sneering mustache twirler. You know, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought he dropped the ball on Garak, on um, him big time. You know, I, I liked when Garak, when not Garak, Ducat was more nuanced. But yes. yeah, um, I, I, I think that's an interesting choice. I, I, I wouldn't list it as one of my least favorite, but I think you certainly raised some very good points about that. I yeah. don't think it's one of the better finales. It's uh, probably, well, of all Star Trek, it's definitely the second best finale, I would say. But that, that's not a high bar. Well, nothing could beat all good things. No. All good things just... just yeah. All good things just kicks ass. And that, uh, for me as well, purely from a visual perspective, that pan out at the end. Oh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. I'm dragging us off on tangents, so sorry. Yes. Nick, you're up with your DS9 bad choice. Okay. I'm going to be controversial. And I'm going to say Far Beyond the Stars. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Oh, mega controversial. You, you need to justify that one. Yeah. I, <laughs> that really. that I find it utterly unwatchable because of Avery Brooks' performance. Really? Yep. <laughs> um, particularly the final scene where he... I like Avery Brooks as an actor. When he's small, when he's subtle, he's good. But when he's trying to do big stuff, it just becomes almost cartoon-like for me. And I just find it difficult to watch. His last scene where he has his breakdown, it just doesn't feel real to me. It feels like I'm watching a parody. And for that reason, I just can't can't watch it. I love the idea. It's well written. It's even well shot. But Brooke's performance just ruins it for me. Fair enough. That's fair enough. That's I know it's on the top ten for a lot of people. But for me, I just nah, can't watch it. Well, I can watch it, but I just don't particularly enjoy it. Hmm. Um, also, cool. it, oh, there's also an almost a little bit of hitting people over the head with the issue in it. Mm. Uh, you, you, you say that just 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 go off on a tangent just for a moment. Um, out, out Dragon Con was it last year or the year before? Either way, he had a had a panel with Sarah Clofton, mm-hmm. and he did that right at the end. It's about fifteen twenty minutes of um, uh, black against white. Uh, and I've lost a lot of respect for him using a, pa- a Star Trek panel to kind of further that kind of thing. Yes, there's an inequality, but you, you don't need to bring it up. Well, in, the, in, in a panel that's got nothing to do with it. You know, people go off on ten- tangents, so I don't particularly have a problem with that. But I just don't think Far Beyond the Stars does what it wants to do as well as it maybe could. And for me, it's his performance that kind of drags it down. Um I think if you had somebody like, say, hmm, say if you had somebody like Sidney Poitier, just to pick a random actor, African-American actor, was doing that, I think I would love it. But Avery Brooks just doesn't work. I just don't like what he did there. Now, that's not to say that what he's doing was bad. It's just that his performance just doesn't work for me there. I think when you do stuff like that, I don't think you need to hide it. I mean, obviously, you're trying to make an issue, a point there about the issue. And, and I completely agree with the point they were trying to make. But I think it was almost not... It just felt like they were using a brick. It just wasn't subtle. It wasn't smooth enough. I don't know. I'm just glad they didn't reveal that uh, the whole thing was a, a figment of his imagination. Imagine yeah, that. they did kind of toy with that a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things I have issue with more than anything. Um, you know what, actually, I don't have an issue with, I don't have a problem with the issue they were trying to highlight. I think it's a genuine problem, and I think it should be addressed. And you know what, if it wasn't as subtle as I maybe would have liked it to have been, that's fine, you know. Um, 
yeah, the episode just doesn't really work very well for me. For and I, and I can't quite put my finger on a, one particular reason why not. It just doesn't work for me. But I know a lot of people think it's great and it's one of the best episodes ever. So, yeah. to be fair, I would never go and seek it out directly. I mean, I would watch it as part of a a rewatch, but I would never think, "I'll go watch this episode." Maybe I should go and rewatch it. I haven't watched it in quite a few years. Maybe it's because it's white and it makes me feel terrible. I don't know. Yeah, but. maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good that they did it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, so, for me, my absolute least favourite episode is a season one episode, Move Along Home. The one where Quark plays a game that, where Cisco, Dax, and I think Bashir or some or somewhere oh, get sucked that, into it. That's my episode that I've got listed. <laughs> and the main reason I hate it is one word, Alamorain. That little girl playing hopscotch. I, I can give you another reason why I hate it. It's terrible. Yes, it would be a bad original series episode. I actually don't think... A lot of people criticise the first season of DS9. I actually think, overall, the first season of DS9's got some pretty strong episodes. That's not one of them. No. no. That would actually fit into a third season original series episode, like you say. Yeah. Yes, and uh, yeah, it's a show that's fine its feet, but it's just bad, and it's one of those we're supposed to believe they're inside a video... Well, not even a video game, a board game. So how'd they get in there, and how does this thing work? And it's got all this nonsense. It's just nonsense. And that little girl's annoying, and yeah, and it's one of those the actors must have been humiliated having to yeah. perform those scenes. So that is it's not a good one at all. That's as bad as it gets for me uh, for DS9, I think. I can't so, think of this. Yeah, over to Alec. Oh my god, I, unfortunately, I didn't prepare for that. So um, I, I have to say that I am totally clueless in regards to the worst episode of DS9. Uh, no, nothing jumps out at me because I think, you know, it, Star Trek was developed enough by that point that the DS9, the bad wasn't really bad like in Next Generation. The bad was more bland, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, the first two seasons, there were a lot of bland episodes, which weren't that particularly interesting. Um, but I don't think the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine were were necessarily bad so more as they were weren't as as exciting as it got you know season three on when things really started to cook so i will uh beg all your forgiveness for not having a worst episode of deep space nine plus since deep space nine is my favorite show it's going to kill me to actually pick an episode that sucks if you had to choose one just just for the record i don't give me some choices and let me tell you which one maybe one will will ring my uh ring my bell because i can't you know I, oh. I, I think. Well, I chose what you leave behind. Really? Yeah. <laughs> As the worst episode of Deep Space Nine? As the one I like the most, the, the least. Yes. Wow, you're brutal. I had, I had move along home. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. I, 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 yes, I have to agree with you. That God damn was that episode bad. Hey, I had far beyond the stars. What? <laughs> Come on, you can watch Avery Brooks acting in that. Dude, wow, that is like the episode that everyone says is one of the best. And uh, so, really, wow, that's just can't okay, just can't cope with Brooks acting in it. <laughs> you guys are just with anything. Well, you think he's pulling a Shatner in that episode? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and not a good Shatner. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm actually surprised that no one picked um, Trials and Tribulations under good, but, you know, we'll bring it up well, later. Well, I, th- I thought that was far too obvious. Yeah. It is very obvious good. Obvious is good, yeah. Um, it took, uh, Trials and Tribulations took, was fun, but it took the least work to make it a good episode. I mean, how can you screw that one up? Yeah. It was good. It was cute. They had some cute lines in it. It was fun, the interplay. Boom, boom. In this instance, we'll allow a duplication since there's been connection issues. Uh, okay. Ju- judge go. rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we get on to the most divisive, well, not the second most divisive of the Star Trek shows, uh, with Voyager. And Voyager was Captain Janeway gets lost and uh, with a bunch of people, and they have to find their way home. And they spend seven years trying to get home. Um. That's about the premise. Um, 
there's supposed to be some tension between the Maquis crew and the Starfleet crew that disappears pretty early on. But, yeah, so Voyager. And to kick us off, Nick, you're up. Okay, uh, I've got a list of several, but I'm going to pick Scorpion. Damn it! Which, which which part? Which part? No, 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 no! You can't, you can't choose parts. It has to be, you know. <laughs> I can no, pick it no, 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 no! Go with it. It's fine. I'm going to say Scorpion because, um, you know, the Borg had not been. Voyager kind of took the Borg over from TNG. Um, but there hadn't been anything fresh with them done pretty much since they'd introduced the Borg. And Scorpion really kind of reinvigorated Voyager, but also reinvigorated the Borg to an extent. Now, I'll not go into what they did after Scorpion, because, you know, then they kind of dried it up as well. But because <laughs> um, they did kind of over-egg the Borg. and But Scorpion was very fresh, and it was almost like best of both worlds again. It was yeah. so well done, but it was like revisiting the same well, but doing it f- in a fresh way and doing it well. I mean, Voyager, I mean, I've always liked Voyager, but Scorpion really kicked Voyager up a notch. You could argue whether they can maintain that standard after that, but Scorpion's really a high point. I mean, you introduced the Borg to Voyager. Well, they kind of teased them already. You introduced Seven of Nine, which really did shake the show up. I mean, arguably, she and probably the Doctor were the two best characters on that show. Um, and it's interesting to think, we only really had Seven for three years. Yeah, indeed. Yes, or was it four years? No, four years. Four years, four but through seven, yes. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like she wasn't there for the whole show, really. Um, she became such an important part of the show and a very well-realized character and a very well-acted character. Um, one of the funniest yeah. lines in Voyager. Which one? Um, Captain Proton to the rescue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, I thought you were going to say take the cheese to sick bay, but okay. Cliffhanger <laughs> to Scorpion. I mean, every everybody remember who's a Star Trek fan and watched Star Trek at that point remembers Best of Both Worlds that season three finale fire. This yeah. was Voyager's fire moment when you know. Planets exploding, Voyager being towed off by the Borg, an enemy that can destroy the Borg, and then cut fade to black is like, oh my god! And I remember, you know, I remember that, and the level of excitement from that cliffhanger was pretty comparable to when Best of Both Worlds aired. And I don't think, and I think that was the first time we'd had a cliffhanger ending since Best of Both Worlds that had that level of excitement. I don't think. And I also think it was the last time. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're quite, you're quite right. Yeah. Um, I would agree. I think the, I think the episode is, is wonderful. It's, it's, it's probably as close to a perfect Voyager episode, well, two-parter really, that you're ever going to find. And I, I, I must admit, I don't rewatch Voyager a lot. Mm-hmm. I do on occasion. I probably rewatch DS9 and TNG more than anything. Um. But that's one I could take out any time and sit down and watch and enjoy it. And, you know, it's well shot, it's well written, it's well acted, it's well, it's just beautifully done two-parter. And it's entertaining and it's good and it's good trick. Yeah, and you see um, Janeway and Chakotay completely at odds with one another, which is rare. Uh, Which is nice. And I like that there are odds, there's conflict there. But also, when they put the conflict aside and work together, that's how they save the day. Yeah. Yep. And uh, eight four seven two are a compelling villain because oh, yeah. you don't know much about them. They're strange. They're new. They can but, take on the Borg. And uh, which, interesting is what the Borg were like when we first meet them. Yeah. And yeah. Um, um, and I'll never forget that scene where uh, Voyager comes across fifteen Borg cubes. Oh yeah. And it's got sort of swept up in the in the in the impulse wake as they're flying past. I need to go and watch it again now. It's just, it's just yeah. epic. I remember watching it at. Um, the uh, that the one day conventions uh, one of the, in uh, Glasgow uh, the the away team, and yeah. that as you were saying the cliffhanger at the end with yeah. the fate of black the stunned silence, yeah. and then the rapturous applause. Yeah, um, it was just it was just an awesome moment. You're like, oh my 
goodness, these 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 people are these things that they're kicking ass, mm. and they're and yeah. the, the the Borg are running from them. How on earth is this going to pan out? Yeah. yeah, and I think the the second part, just like with Best of Both Worlds, doesn't quite stick the landing. No, I'd agree. It just but, kind of ends, but. Um, but I think it does a better job than part two of Best of Both Worlds. Yes. Yeah. It's probably one of the better second parts in Star Trek. Yeah, because Star Trek always did this thing of do a cliffhanger and then we'll make up the resolution in three months' time. And then... with Best of Both Worlds, that's exactly what happened because they didn't have a yeah. clue what they were going to do. Yeah. So, great choice. Uh, so, Scorpion is as good as it gets for me as well, but my second favourite has to be Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy from season yes. six. Yep. Um, the brief outline is the Doctor installs some subroutines that let him daydream. And then aliens hack into him and spy on them, which makes the problem worse. And he starts not being able to recognise reality and fantasy. And it's just legitimately funny. Robert Picardo has great comic timing, as he demonstrates here. Um, and on, I mean, I just can't not smile every time I think about the emergency hol- command hologram fantasy <laughs> where, the, where the pips appear with the dramatic music. It's just... It, do, do, it's, do, do, do they even make a little... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's epic. And then when they actually introduced the ECH in later seasons, I was like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> the pips don't appear. Um, the aliens are kind of stupid, but it completely fits the tone. The daydreams are hilarious. Um especially when he's drawing seven in the nude and, and Janeway's only response is he does the hands very well. And it progresses the doctor as a character, you know, by, by giving him this, um, this desire to better himself and be in, and, and be command level character. And it's just great. It's great fun. It's um, especially when Voyager was starting to lose its charm. In, in that late stage, it was just something that was. Hey, we'll have a bit of fun with this, and it works. No, it's a good, good, good choice. I mean, uh, yeah, I like it. Doesn't doesn't he actually end up uh, scaring off an actual alien attack? Yes, because they think, oh, this guy's badass. Yeah, uh, they, um, the the aliens attack, and he's sitting there nervously in the chair, and uh, he bluffs by saying, um, "Activate the photonic cannon." Uh, a weapon of mass destruction invented by the Doctor in his fantasies, and uh, the aliens run away because they don't want to deal with a photonic cannon. Which awesome. is hilarious. Yeah, Just, yeah, what an episode. Yeah. Um, Sandy, you're up. Timeless. Oh, uh, the 100th yeah, yeah. episode. Yeah, one, because it's the 100th episode, and two, it's just a great premise it's I mean, it, it's time travel but it's not but it is but it's not um it's got some good videos and it's got an epic epic crash scene yeah i mean we'd never seen anything the, the like of before and we haven't since in star trek well okay f- spoiler alert if you've seen beyond that's quite epic um but um oh yeah generations yeah i forgot yep yeah, absolutely yep yeah, well done um it's just Awesome. We we see a galaxy class as well, all yes, pimped up, yeah. all really nice, and LaForge as a captain on a small really, screen. <laughs> yeah, on a small screen. You obviously did. The, the, I, uh, I would totally watch a series about Captain LaForge. Same here, absolutely. Yeah. There's one thing I really like about the episode when he's trying to convince Chakotay to stand down, and he says, you know, and he he meets him on his level and admits, look, if I was in your position, I'd be doing the same thing, but I also have this job to do. And it's yeah, it's, it's a nice showing cool. for LaForge. And, na- and naming his ship, ship Challenger as well, yeah. um, for obvious reasons. Yes. Uh, it's just, it, it's just a really nice thing. It, it is a nice what if, you know, uh, what if you were in that position? Would you do the same thing? You, you know, you've made a mistake, and all your friends have died. You would have survivor guilt. Yes. And it would probably eat you. And definitely, it made sense because Harry Harry Kim was one of those is one of those impressionable characters. Who would carry that kind of burden? Yes, and would go to his would would go to the, the, any length to tr- if he found a way to uh, to correct it. He probably would. It also shows how much potential Harry actually has as a character. Yes, uh, he's you know because by that point he'd been pretty stagnant, and he was just 
you know, he was just quite whining all the time, or all of the episodes were about failed romances. So it was nice to see him be a bit of a badass for once. Yeah, this one he shined. It was really, really nice. Yeah. Even though it wasn't Ensign Harry Kim, it was just Harry Kim. And maybe yeah. even a slightly different Harry Kim to what we would know, because he's obviously been jaded by his experience. Yeah, he's older, and he's better, He's he takes no crap. He just can't I mean, be bothered. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen little hints of that Harry Kim later on. Not that we ever did, but... That would involve character development, and that doesn't yeah. happen on Voyager. It, yeah, <laughs> no, sadly. So, would, so would I as well, but you've also got to remember... Um, the events didn't transpire, so he didn't no, get the, he didn't nice. get that bitterness. Some growth in Harry in those yeah. seven years. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more uh, of the confidence and everything, especially if he um, after he got that message, so he realizes all of it's down to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a badass." Yeah, but then you know, as soon as Janeway goes off screen, she hits the reset button, and everything's back to normal the next week. Yeah, that's a yeah. shame about Voyager. It really is. There was lots of potential there, and. I get timeless with sort of that, you know, it showed that. If you want to take us with yours, Alec. Um, well, gosh, you know, uh, as far as favorite episodes, it's tough. I actually think that Endgame is an excellent episode of Voyager. Um, I love the That's way it starts in the future. <laughs> yeah, I love the way it starts in the future. I love the way they wrap up the Borg time- timeline with the two Janeways. Um uh, I actually own Janeway's costume, her Admiral costume for future yeah, Admiral costumes in that episode. And I think it was a it was a worthy finale. Now, of course, it wasn't as good as all good things, but I think that, you know, that, that that's, uh, you know, unfair. Um, and it may even be better than What You Leave Behind, even though I'm a huge Deep Space Nine fan. I, I kind of didn't, and What You Leave Behind, I kind of didn't like the fact that they left you hanging at the end I, I and i take to nick's points about a father leaves his son and his pregnant wife like really yeah. um you know now they resolve that in the books right in the books, cisco comes back um so th- that's cool and what would be i, I don't know how they handled that I, I really should read that but you know if he he should show up like a week later and go well i was away for three years I um but it what? ends about 10 minutes too early yes yeah it does doesn't it it does. Uh, I, I, I agree. I wanted to see, I wanted to see a, uh, the Star Trek version of a ticker tape parade. Mm. The trouble is you kind yeah. of get the start of the episode, which was their reasoning. It's like you see the homecoming at the start of the episode, yeah. so we don't see it again. It's like, well, actually you do, because we don't really see it. Yeah. Right. There's also, um, interestingly, I mean, they obviously went for the future present structure, and I think uh, Timeless did it a lot better, but it would have been more interesting to see if... Uh, you see how Voyager got home, or see Voyager's first days being home, and then it keeps cutting back to how they got there, and it ties it all together somehow. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. Here's another favorite of Voyager. Uh, since I'm not, you know, I'm not going to necessarily go to war over Endgame. Is um, the Year <laughs> of Hell? Yes. Ah, it's yes. a great episode, and it's a great time travel episode, and it's a great, you know, in a way alternate. Uh, you know, altered universe. Uh, it plays all those things, and and um, it, it's really well done. It's fascinating, and and Kurtwood Smith is brilliant in it as he always is. And um, so, yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of that episode. I, I really really like like that. that. That was my third choice in case my first and second got t- taken. Yeah, it's, I, um, I, yeah. It's a shame that Brandon Braga never got his idea greenlit to do an entire season of it like he wanted to because that could have been really interesting oh yeah so, yeah play a whole season of it and then resets at the end of the season like jr maybe not even stuff. maybe not even resets i mean there was obviously there was a season two episode where kess is experiences year of hell at some point um yeah and you see the aftermath of it where people are dead or maybe they could have just left tuvok blind or something like that it might have been right yeah right right yeah 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 no uh, all yeah, good points. Good points. Yeah, and, interesting uh, choices. Yeah. Um, so now we're on to the, the least favourite of uh, Voyager, and I guess I'll kick us off with um, my absolute least favourite is Spirit Folk from Season 6, oh, where the Irish you? holograms learn that Voyager... Uh, learn about Voyager... Fuck. ...use them of witchcraft. It somehow manages to be worse than the first Fairhaven episode, which is a challenge. So well <laughs> done, whoever wrote that, for, for making something worse than that. It's just boring, boggles the mind that they'd bring that concept back. It's like one of those early TNG holodeck failure episodes. Yep. 
Uh, Janeway's love interest isn't interesting. It's just all garbage. It's just wrong. There we go. <laughs> next up, we have Sandy. If you go next, hey, I'm going to annoy people because I know this is on their list. Threshold. Nah, not on mine. <laughs> warp, warp ten. I mean, seriously, come on, the warp ten threshold. Starfleet, the combined forces of st- all of Starfleet's uh, engineers and and uh, scientists uh, couldn't get it done. But the Voyager, with um, very limited resources in the middle of the Delta Quadrant on a tiny little shuttlecraft, manages to do it. Hey, uh, I'm something like that's happened in Star Trek. After a Neelix anecdote, no less. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it just doesn't do it for me, that's all. And then they never touch upon it again. I agree. Episode. Especially when the uh, the evolution thing is so easily cured. They could have just, you know, went for it and then cured it when they got home. But never yeah, one, one, one up thing. Uh, Paris and Janeway babies. <laughs> that's, an interesting, that's an interesting bar story. They leave them there, though. That's the... The bizarre thing. Yeah, well, yeah, they've, they've just created a new species. Let, let them be. <laughs> Go for um, I'd be shocked if no one came up with it. Yeah, it's just, um, just, it's just one that, uh, one that just takes. Uh, nah, I just don't like it. It's, 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 it's almost as bad as the whole controversy of um, all good things and engage at warp thirteen. Hmm. Okay, uh, Nick, would you like to go next? Yeah, I'm gonna say. Prime actors. Season okay. one, um, they come across this supposedly friendly planet that can probably jump from about 10,000 light years ahead in their journey, and they basically turn out to be a planet of assholes. Uh, <laughs> Janeway with this guy from the planet a bit. There's like no chemistry between them whatsoever. And uh, yeah, it's just a it's a bad episode. Yeah. I think they, oh yeah, because Seska works with some of the, Janeway won't cooperate them with them because he, she finds out they're a bunch of assholes, but then Seska and some of the crew collab, end up going against her orders and trading for their technology from them, but it all goes horribly wrong. And just to kill the Voyager. It's just a horrible episode. Yes. Uh, it's, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Alec, what's your least favourite Voyager episode? Anything with uh, the uh, the uh, what's their names? I can't even remember now. I, I hate them so much. The the uh, guys with the soap based heads. Um, come on, guys! Who was the bad guy in the beginning of Voyager? The Kazon. Oh, the Kazon. Kazon. Thank you. Discount yes. Klingons. Anything with uh, the Kazon, which was it's oh. like we spent how many seasons were we in Kazon space? I mean, these guys can't even get a good, you know, a good makeup job, and they're 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 covering like half the quadrant. I mean, it was like right season three we stopped seeing the Kazon. It's like that. This makes makes no sense whatsoever. Um, one, it was they were just a, they should have been the bad guy of the week, and instead we're seeing them over and over throughout you know at least two seasons worth of Voyager. It's like. They, they, their empire is not that big. They're, you know, they're, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I just generally hated the Kazon. So anything with the Kazon in it. They were pretty bad. Yeah. I didn't yeah, think Maj Kolo was a decent villain, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was okay. He was okay, but just in general. And, and then it's like, oh, and then we've got, you know, um, what's her name? Martha Hackett's character is. Yeah, he was a good it, villain. It, she was a really good villain. You really she hated was good. her guts. Except when she spent her spare time reprogramming random holodeck programs to, to mess <laughs> yeah. with them years later. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Which, of course, yeah, that's that's uh, that, that's kind of like, oh, the, the writers are tired this week. Let's go to let's go to the Star Trek playbook and just blindly flip through it and pick one of the oh, Star Trek playbook number sixty three. The holodeck has been pre-programmed previously. You know, I think they used that Deep Space Nine. It was like, oh, the Cardassians left a left a logic bomb. It's like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good bad choice. Um, well, just any case on episode. I don't know. I can't think of any that particularly stand out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. You can't think of any that stand out because they, they don't. Oh God! You know, I thought yeah, the first the part of basics was quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. and also I'll admit to having watched Voyager once. 
mm. once and, and not again. So it's really tough for me to be a, to, to speak intelligently about uh, about Voyager. Wow. I like basics. Um, basics mm. is a good episode. The first part, anyway. The yeah. second part's a bit... And I, and I actually shortlisted on my list of best I actually have the epic. And the kids on a fine in that, and if that was better than that. Yeah, the kids on managed to uh, take take Voyager. Yes. Yeah, come on, guys, really? With Seska's help, remember, Seska can do anything. She, well, well, she's, sure. Yeah, well, all right. The Kazon were fine in Caretaker. <laughs> and I saw them. Yeah, that should be the end of it. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. They were fine in Caretaker. Mm. Yeah, I, I know. Caretaker was a really good episode, too. It's a great pilot. Great pilot. You know? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I, I, it, interestingly, when I first was working on Axanar, um, I had um, Marco Palmieri, who was the editor of Pocketbook's Star Trek novels, um, he was giving me some advice. He was reading my treatment and, and, and we were talking at, the, at that time. He said, Garth didn't have a, a big enough through line and a big enough story in, in my treatment. I was like, Oh, that's a good point. And he, we, so he and I were talking about pilots yeah. and he said that all the great Star Trek pilots, their captain has, it, it's about the captain's growth. And he says the cage emissary caretaker are the three best Star Trek pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, and and probably you know maybe even in that order and he said that's why he it's because the cap captains you know had really good growth in them and think about the cage and think about emissary and to a lesser extent caretaker and caretaker Janeway just had a big decision to make right and uh, so she makes a big decision that uh, based on her values so yeah I agree you know about and all. All I can say about Encounter in Farpoint, about the best thing I've ever seen for Encounter in Farpoint, was the two people cosplaying the jelly, the, the jellyfish creatures at the Vegas. end at, <laughs> this year at Vegas. That that's like cool. the oh, <laughs> that's like the most Encounter in Farpoint I ever want to see again in my life. <laughs> well, that, that was a beautiful image. It really was. Um, yeah, so that that's Voyager. Uh, next on to the most divisive of the Star Trek series, at least until Discovery comes out. Enterprise. That concludes the second part. Join us again for the third and final part where we conclude our long voyage through the Star Trek franchise. I'd like to thank YouTubers 331ERock and Sam Dillard of Samo Studios for the music you've heard here. If you like what you heard so far, then please do subscribe on iTunes or any major podcasting app and join us on the next Neil Before Pod.